The thoughts and opinions on Just Some Podcast are of the hosts and guests and do not represent the views of organizations that employ them or they volunteer for. They are also not responsible for spontaneous black holes or nuclear wars that may occur. You have been warned. The award-winning podcast that's never won an award. It's like if a camera flash had a sound. Join the conversation on our social media. Another fun-filled and exciting episode. You're listening to Just Some Podcast. And here's your hosts, Ben and Tom. Welcome, 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 everybody, to another fun-filled and exciting episode of Just Some Podcasts for Advanced Practitioners. This is Tom. Hey, this is Ben. Tom, man, I feel like it's been a while since we talked. You know, we were off for the holiday, and I mean, I know we talk in text, but I, I kind of missed you a little bit, man. Oh, I missed you, too. Did you have a good Christmas? I did. You know, it was uh, fun for the kids to watch them open their stuff, and you know, I got some things that I needed, some new scrubs and stuff, but... Uh, with my oldest, youngest girl, I guess that's the way I'll word that, um, she wanted a morph board. Do you know what a morph board is, Tom? Have you heard of these? No idea. So a morph board is basically a skateboard base, and then it has different wheels that you can snap into place. And so it can be a skateboard. It can be a scooter. It has a, a balancing act thing to it. I, anyway, she had really wanted one of those. So Christmas morning, she was looking, and she's like, I hope one of those is my morph board. And I'm like, you know, I like our ER and all, but uh, no, I can guarantee you it's not a morph board because you'll break your damn neck. <laughs> so she did not get her morph board. She got a phone instead that we actually, it's not activated as a phone, but we have it set up so that she can use, use apps and stuff with it. So she actually cried when she got that. So I think it was a little bit better than a morph board. How was yours? Oh, it was pretty good. Uh, mostly watching my little one open up his presents and just watching so much money go down the drain. Like for instance, he got one very expensive toy that comes with a set of wrenches to put it together. And he has played with the wrenches, but not the toy. So next year I'm just going to get some Allen wrenches and throw them at him. And that should really just take care of all the issues. Oh yeah. That sounds like a great plan. Yeah. You know, plan for your future. Here's some screwdrivers and a hammer. No, maybe not hammer. Hammer may not be a good idea. Yeah, I, I don't want him running around here with a hammer. That would equal a level of destruction lasting at Hiroshima. So I don't want to be dealing with that in my house. Yeah, that's probably a good plan. No, I was going to say, uh, otherwise, it's it's been pretty good. I'm just ready to get back into this. we got some new equipment, so hopefully we'll get some good feedback on the improved sound quality and how things are working. And I think you look like you're itching to do a social media shout out. Well, before we do that, I hope everybody noticed, you know, cause we did have some complaints on the uh, cheesiness of the theme music. So what you heard at the beginning of this episode, you know, new year, we're rolling out 2019. We got a new theme song, producer, Sam, fact checker, Sam help us out with that. I think it sounds pretty cool. What do you think, Tom? I think it sounds pretty good. I can't wait to uh, get some feedback from Jason and John, the uh, music interpretation uh, movement and see what they have to say about this. Also, I 
do we, I think we should tell the people like, even though right now we are still just some podcast for advanced practitioners, we're looking at opening our format maybe, and just becoming just some podcast about healthcare. Yeah. So we're going to do a couple of test episodes and this is actually going to be one of those. So we're, uh, going to look beyond the scope of advanced practitioners and look at some other roles in healthcare. So I think that will be good. And uh, so we want to hear what you think about that on social media. And and since you said social media, Ben. Well, Tom, since I said social media, I want to let everybody know they can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all at Just Some Podcast. You can find us on the web, www.justsomepodcast.com. Or email us, admin at justinpodcast.com. Tom, how else can they help the show? Well, first of all, on those social media sites you just mentioned, they can help us out by rating us, leaving some reviews, sharing us on their social media, and then also going to our webpage using our Amazon affiliate link. Click on that. It's free. It doesn't cost you anything. It's really easy to use. It takes you right to the website. And then you just shop as normal. And then we get some of the proceeds, and it helps out the show. Uh Tom, now you had something important to tell them about the Amazon affiliate link, right? Yeah, so after a a very large purchase that I made, I found out that if the stuff is already in your basket, when you click the link, we do not get any credit for that. So make sure you put it on your save list, use the affiliate link, and then add the stuff from your list into your basket because otherwise it won't tag us and then we don't get any credit. And so this was for uh, Danica. <laughs> Dumbass. Yes, uh, we got some feedback about a person in particular liked the way he called me dumbass. So we thought we should, you know, we, we try and reward any sort of feedback. Not that it's always good for me, apparently. But when it is for the show, we, we try and honor it. So that was great. And I have uh, a shout out. Apparently last show I mispronounced part of it, but uh, Simple Health Rad gave us a big shout out on their Twitter account and mentioned us as one of their favorite podcasts. So I just thought we should make sure to give them a shout out as well. Yeah, it was uh, the second week in a row that they've listed us as a follow Friday. And they actually reached out to us uh, telling us, you know, that they really appreciated the podcast. And I've listened to their podcast. I think it's great, too. They uh, do some short segments on things like I think their last one that I listened to was like on a shoulder dislocation. It's a like 10 minute podcast, but I think it really is a, a nice short suite. You know, those short commutes back and forth kind of thing. I think that's where it works great for that. That's Simple Health Radio at Simple Health Rad. And I was thinking about award. You know, you mentioned that, that we're still our award winning show that hasn't won an award. If anybody at the Nobel Prize organization is listening, I am still waiting on my recognition for award winning work in recognizing that part of your brain um, focuses on Sudoku. So anytime you guys want to reach out, I'm still waiting. Still, still waiting, Tom. I promise you I will never let this go. And as a matter of fact, um, I would like to introduce our guest tonight, Megan, the respiratory therapist, who has also got the honor and privilege of being my lucky wife. She can attest that I will never let this go until they give me my Nobel Prize. Megan, would you like to say hello? Hello. And it's going to be a dead horse. Yes. <laughs> for, for years. He's going to beat that submission. Yeah. Yep. But yeah. Oh, one more thing. I got to sh- I got to say this because I got so focused on the show because it's been a while since we've done this. I'm a big Ohio State fan and I would love to point out that I we literally in the last couple minutes just finished watch 
just finished watching Ohio State beat Washington in the Rose Bowl. So go Bucks, go Buckeye Nation. Big shout out to Ohio State. That'd be really awesome if you guys gave us some love. But you know, either way, big shout out to Ohio State. Way to go in the win in the Rose Bowl. Well, I don't know about Ohio State, but I know that we are getting some traction, getting downloaded all over the place. I think we're up to like twenty-one countries, six continent. It's it is insane. All the places that are listening to us right now. Yes, and I don't know what you're doing listening to us in those foreign countries, but thanks. Much love in Portuguese and whatever else language I need to say that in. And uh, keep listening and tell all your friends and get us downloaded. I wonder if they're making us into like memes in other countries. I, I, I don't know. If I see a meme and it's like in Italian, it's like dumbass. I'm going to be like, holy crap, dude. So <laughs> it's going to be it's gonna be pretty awesome. Yeah. Ready to jump into stories that we may have missed. Yeah, so so Megan, um, since you're my wife, I know you haven't ever listened to the show. So at this point, we're going to do a story, and I think you're going to find it really interesting because, well, you'll hear in just a second. Ben, do you want to tell us about the story we may have missed? I do, and you know, I am one who I really enjoy the eye-catching headlines, you know, those kind of clickbait headlines. This one is from iflscience.com. If you don't know what IFL stands for, then, well, you should. Um, anyway, here's this. You ready for this headline, Tom? I cannot wait. There's one Christmas gift idea that could tear your entire family apart. Is it a chainsaw? Well, no. Okay, that's a good idea. Maybe they need to. There's two <laughs> Christmas gift ideas that could tear your gotcha. entire family apart. Caught you with your pants down, IFL science. <laughs> Uh, anyway, you know, so this is so maybe someone got this uh, under the Christmas tree. So what they're talking about is actually these little DNA kits. Like we're not going to say the sites because we don't want to, you know, get in trouble. But there are lots of sites out there that are offering like fifty nine dollar, you know, spit in this tube, and we'll tell you all your DNA. But they're saying they could tear your family apart. Tom, you know what? I think I have an idea, but please lay it on me. Well, first off, that they were found to be somewhat unreliable on the, like, cancer screening and things like that. What it states is, recent studies show that the customer-oriented reports evaluate the raw sequence, mistakenly identifies risk factor genes as much as 40% of the time. And sometimes they also flag harmless gene variants that uh, the significance is not yet known. So, you know, might cause some stress on you. The other way that it could tear your family apart, like a chainsaw, apparently, is lo and behold, maybe you're not related to your family after all. Uh, There's several stories that I'd found of people you know, who spit in this and dad spit in it and mm, dad's not the dad. Wait a minute. Are you saying what I think you're saying? I'm saying that this may expose a whole lot of... Uh, more secrets than the Maury Povich show. Let's put it that way. So not only may I not have cancer, I may not have a kid. That's what you're telling me, right? Well, since your wife's on the show, I am not touching that one. I think that anybody who knows your kid knows that that's clearly your child. So that's 100% confirmed there. Yeah. Megan can shake her head all she wants, but I think there's going to be a DNA test pretty soon. Please. Let's do one. <laughs> well, there you go, Tom. She she's said that before, like before the story, and I always tell her that there's no way I'm taking the DNA test because there's only two conclusions and they're both bad for me. One, he's my kid and I can't say that anymore, like the joke's dead. Or two, 
he's not my kid and bad things happen <laughs> at that point. So either way, this is really not, and you know, there's no reason for me to take this test at this point. But what if your dad's not your dad, Tom? If my dad's not my dad? Yeah. Man, I honestly don't like, I'm, you know, as old as I am now, I'm like, I, I think I just go up to him and be like, uh, Hey, I don't, I don't really honestly know what I would do at that point in time. Wow. That's, that's going to be a long conversation with mom though. So, <laughs> right. So that's what, that's what this is talking about. There's lots of uh, things like that. The other thing that it does briefly mention also is, uh, there's no clear legal protections for your genetic data. Once it's been put out there, privacy policies for several of the big companies state the customer information can be shared with law enforcement under the circumstances of a valid court order, subpoena, or a search warrant also. So, you know, if you've done any crimes that you don't want people to know about, Tom, don't recommend doing those DNA $59 to kids. And honestly, that would probably be my only concern, not the law enforcement aspect. I, I could care less about that. See, really? But- That's your concern? Who? <laughs> No, I meant the the releasing of your information. Like they're saying now, but I mean, Facebook said that they don't release private information, and all these uh, cell phone companies are like, oh, our information is secure, but they got hacked. That that's honestly my concern. Wouldn't be I could care less about the government having my information. It's private insurance companies trying to use that information to screw us over or stuff like that. That would be my concern but i mean i i don't think you can do anything it seems like nothing involving genetics goes without risk like there's there have you ever seen a science fiction movie where they do some genetic testing but everything comes out great not fucking one zero zero times has this ever been a good idea well, it would probably be a short movie too so yeah i mean you're gonna have some suspense to it I mean, like animated DNA test, it's normal all right good job the end yeah did you spit in this tube? Yes. I can cure cancer. The end. Oh, okay. There you go. <laughs> Shortest happy movie ever. So I actually bought them for my wife and myself. Uh, We've not done them yet. I, I mean, we should, I'm sure we still will because I want to find out, you know, what percentage of my DNA is Scandinavian uh, or some other randomness. So the question, Tom, or Jewish. Is, or Jewish. Hey, you never know. <laughs> Yes, and just so people in the crowd don't think we're anti-Semitic, uh, my wife found out she is part Jewish, and that was, like, no ideas. We had no idea any of that was coming, so it was just like, whoa, where, like, you, if you ever saw a picture of my wife, you'd be like, oh, she's clearly from, like, Sweden or something, you know, there's just, well, we were like, oh, Jewish, well, okay, like, that's in there now, so we know it. So the question, Tom, is would you still do the DNA test? I've already done the DNA test. Yes, I, I we we talked about it. We went over all the stuff. I'm still waiting on my results, but it's uh, it's something I'm, I'm still happy with the company I chose to go with. DNA companies, if you want to shout out, you know how to get a hold of us. But right. yeah, yeah, no advertisement for free. But if, uh, yeah, we, we went over the you know pros and cons, and we... It was just something we both decided we wanted to do, so we went ahead and did that. Yeah, I'm sure we will too. So I was just curious, but uh, let's. Uh, you want to get into our main topic and why we have your wife on the show? Other oh, than the- I think so. Yeah, other than uh, harass me, because that's pretty much what she's going to do. So this may turn into an interview of why in the hell did you marry that guy? <laughs> hey, uh, brother, I've been asking that for nine years, and I have yet to get an answer that I think explains the situation. So I'm not worried about that. He does keep me warm. So that's 
Yeah. Oh, look at I'm I'm a big guy. And I I was trying to tell people when they look at me, I'm like, I was built for cold weather, like clearly. So that's that's pretty much where, you know, that's the answer she sticks to. And that's the nice aw see everybody gets that reaction. I don't believe her. But I, I think she's just too nice a person and we started dating and she couldn't figure out a way to break up with me. And so just like over time I'm like moss. I just grew on her and finally one day she was like, Ah fuck it. <laughs> she just gave up. That's amazing. That's kind of how our friendship started too. It's like you know, I couldn't get rid of you, and it's like, eh, okay, I kind of yeah. like him. Yeah, he's he's around now. But and I would like to point out to everybody. Of course, you don't know me very much. Some of you do, but she's not on just simply because she's my wife. She's honestly, and I'm not saying this for brownie points, but hey, if I get some, that's awesome. Uh, <laughs> she is completely 100% one of the, if not the best respiratory therapist I have ever had the privilege of working with and knowing. She is a complete uh, respiratory wonk. She likes to go to seminars about like peat pressures for vents. Uh, I mean, she'll come home and start talking about stuff. And I'm like, I don't care, but thank you for that information. So me and Ben were talking about expanding the show and including other healthcare. And we just decided like, Hey, you know, we happen to both know a good respiratory therapist. Why don't we get her in here and find out some stuff about respiratory therapy? So Megan, how long have you been in respiratory therapy? Since 2006. I'm not a math major, but I think it's 13 years. Yeah, pretty much. It seems okay. like a long time. So, what do you uh, what do you like about it? I like taking care of patients. I don't know. It's I like talking to them, getting to know them, making them feel like they're at home. It's nice. And obviously, sputum doesn't gross you out. No, I actually like tricks. It's fun. <laughs> yes, I think like nurses respiratory has their own things because I'm I know many RTs and they're like, oh my god, I hate this or I hate that. Tricks don't seem to be a popular thing to want to clean or replace or deal with on a daily basis, except for my wife and a few others. They're like, oh no. I like the trach patients, so it's it's kind of funny to hear the other disciplines that have very similar tastes and aspects like nursing does. And she she really didn't want to deal with anything below belly buttons, if I remember right. Mm-mm. Well, that's why she married you. <laughs> why did you choose respiratory therapy? I actually worked as an aide while I was in high school and worked with nurses and decided I didn't want to do nursing <laughs> and thought, what other health care career can I pick? Respiratory therapy. There you go. Because I didn't want to be a nurse. Ah. Sorry, guys. <laughs> you have worked both in the hospital and outpatient care settings, correct? Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about the the normal functions within a hospital and then the normal function of what you do? Because I think the second half is actually what's going to apply to us more and the nurse practitioners that are listening. So the first half will be good for other staff members like they kind of show RTs do. And then we'll kind of get into what you guys do in the outpatient care for like if we order a CPAP, et cetera. So why don't you tell us about the hospital setting? Codes, ventilators. We do breathing treatments, ABGs, Flowland. Hold on. I don't think many hospitals deal with Flowland. I don't know. Tell them a little bit about that. As for innovated patients, um, it just helps with pulmonary hypertension. So is it like a vent or? You're on a vent, but you're actually giving a nebulized medication through the ventilator. Okay. And it's pretty long. It They're usually on it anywhere from 72 hours to seven days, just of the continuous. Do you know off the top of your head, is it like a theophylline-based like, I'm not sure. So I, having been in an ICU where we have had that and 
I would really be interested to hear if other people have worked in a hospital setting with that. It's kind of a uh, medication that we give for people with the pulmonary hypertension that are on long-term vents, but it's really cool medicine that is specific to respiratory therapy. Like the nurses do not touch it. We do not have anything to do with it. It's specifically and completely taken care of by respiratory therapy. Also in a hospital, PFTs, pulmonary function testing. And we can also do, what else? Uh, I've also worked in a sleep lab before. That was horrible. I love the people. I'm glad there are people that love it. I am not one of those people. So here's a question, and I think this is where we're going to go with the second one, and I think me and Ben talked about this earlier, was, so what are some of the common things you've seen nurses and other disciplines doing involving respiratory that we can improve? Like, what, what are some common issues that you see happen with vents that you wish we knew some more information about? Well, communication is a big deal just because respiratory isn't there for 12 hours like the nurse. So a lot of times we have multiple patients or different floors to go to. So we don't see the patient constantly. So it's nice to get that update when we do see the nurse just to know what they're doing so we can kind of coexist with the patient and um, make it one big teamwork instead of having one person do something and somebody do something else that... When I worked in ICU, whenever it made a lot of noises, I would just hit the alarm silence thing for a couple minutes. Is that your preferred method of us handling alarms off event or? Probably not. (laughs) So yeah, um, if you don't know why it's going off, it would probably be best to get the respiratory therapist. A lot of times the patient needs suctioning. If you have like a high peak alarm, maybe they just have increased phlegm fluids. And I think that's some more of the information we're looking for. So what are the typical alarms? What are typically causing them? Is there anything we can do about it to clear it before we bother the respiratory therapy? Paid respiratory stat. Yes. So any low alarm is going to be a leak. If you're getting a low pressure, anything that's low, the first thing to do is check your patient and then check the circuit and then check the vent. Make sure nothing is disconnected. That's one of the biggest things. And any high pressure is going to be usually typically secretions. They need suctioned. Maybe they're coughing. Maybe they're waking up from sedation. So anything high like that. When, when you say circuit, what, um, what exactly part is the circuit? That tube that comes from the vent to the patient's ET tube. Okay. So those are some of the alarms. So let's say we check it. We, we do suctioning, but the alarm's still going off. What do you want us to do next? Um, just make sure that if it's the patient, make sure if they're coughing from the suctioning will cause peak alarms because usually after you suction, you do get that high peak. And also sedation. The patient's waking up a little bit. They could be fighting the vent. So can you tell us a little bit, so all the different modes that the vents are set on for all those ICU and PCU nurses out there that may be dealing with some vents, what are, what are the main components of the AC versus assist versus that we need to know about? SIMV. So that actually gives them, um, they can take spontaneous breaths on their own. Um, You have assist control, which gives them an assisted breath, but they also can't take breaths in between. Now, I'm 99% sure on this, so let's just, (laughs) if I get something wrong, I'm sorry. AVAPS, AVAPS is good. That gives you like a targeted tidal volume, which helps with um, decreasing the CO2 when you have a CO2 retainer come into the ER or something, AVAPS is most of the time works better than just regular BiPAP. Do you, as an RT, are you trained to intubate and is it something that you have the ability to do, but also the like 
I guess the privilege or the right to do in a hospital setting? In the state I'm in, yes. I don't, I know some states don't let RTs do it, but the ones I've worked in have. So I've innovated in the hospitals I've worked at. Is it, but it's part of your training. It's, like you yeah, guys, it all is RTs. definitely. In training, we have to do like a clinical rotation in surgery for, um, for innovations. So you have a controlled setting and then you just innovate surgery patients all day. I was saying, as a, as like an like an ER NP, that something that still worries me is intubating patients versus, well, shit, I have a helicopter thirty minutes out, I can't get them intubated, I get to bag them now. <laughs> yeah, and honestly, I again, and this is going to be one of our future episodes, I think, is the types of training and what we're allowed to do. I, I think innovation is a skill that nurse practitioners should be allowed to do, but it's per hospital. And per training protocols, etc. So that's why I was wondering for respiratory therapy. I know that you guys are usually trained to do that. I just, I think he was asking, how often do you do that? It just depends. If we have residents there or doctors there who want to do it, they will usually jump in and want to try it. So on the outpatient setting, then what, as a respiratory therapist, do you do? CPAPs, BiPAPs. But you're going into like the patients' homes and setting them up. Yes. So, yeah, we would actually, they either come to us or we go out to their home if they are, you know, disabled, can't get a ride or, you know. Do you know or walk it through the process from your side? So we get sleep studies, we work with a patient in my primary care office, so we get the sleep study. Everyone says, okay, this guy needs a CPAP. I order a CPAP. What happens then? Well, if you just order a CPAP, that's not going to work for insurance. So you insurance makes it so hard. You have to have CPAP with the setting. You have to have heated humidifier. And then you actually have to have the items listed out. And you can't have heated tubing and tubing checkmarked because they'll call that a blanket script and insurance won't accept it. So you have to have each one checkmarked separately. Like, And then the baseline study, the sleep study, the interpretation all have to be signed by the doctor for insurance to accept it. Is that by the primary or is that by the pulmonologist or sleep study issuing physician? The pulmonologist can do it. The one that's ordering the CPAP, they can do it. But most of the time it's from the interpreting doc of the sleep study. So so the way that, at least here, the way that we order sleep studies is, you know, we can order like the diagnostic sleep study, which is basically just monitor how they're sleeping or lack thereof. And then we can do like a half a night CPAP where it's, they hook them up to that and then try to determine the settings. Is that kind of how that works? You're ordering a diagnostic. If you order a diagnostic, um, usually hospitals have in place or sleep labs have in place. If they've hit so many apneas by a certain point in the night, they will just go ahead and make it a split night study, which they will just titrate them for the second half of the night, so they won't have to come back. They'll have their diagnostic and therapeutic all-in-one if their apnea is severe enough. If it's not severe enough in the diagnostic, then they do a full night, and then they come back a second night for a therapeutic where they get the full night titration on the CPAP. And so that actually determines then the level that the CPAP needs to be set at, right? For the most part? Mm, No. Um, so <laughs> the look on her face, like, fuck this guy like, <laughs> was, was like, wow, that's, uh, I feel dumber for having talked about this now. <laughs> so. Let me preface the reason. So the reason I asked that is because whenever I get sleep studies back, it shows, Hey, recommend ZPAP at seven or whatever it is. Centimeters at H2O. Yeah. Thank you. 
<laughs> That's why we have you on the show. It's almost like she's an expert in this field. Yeah. <laughs> almost. Yeah. And so I assume that that's why they did that was to determine that particular level. So in educate. What happens is you have um, somebody scoring the study throughout the night. What happens is they will go from five to hopefully over whatever solves their apnea. So if they hit a pressure of 13 and that looks great, they should go on to like 14, 15, 16, just to prove that that 13 is their therapeutic level. But once that order or the sleep studying is completed and it's been completely scored, then you have your interpretation from um, the sleep doctor, pulmonologist, and then they actually go through the study and then decide on their, through their knowledge, what they think the best would be from looking at the study. My next question then since we're on CPAPs, here we, and I assume I say here because that's what I deal with, but I assume it's everywhere. Several of our DMEs have the AutoPAP, where it titrates like over the, over 30 days to determine the best fit for the patient. Is that something that you think is good, not good? What's your thoughts on that? So for people who want to do the home sleep studies, um, most of the time they just do an AutoPAP, which gives them a variation between like 5 and 20, which is good, but... Some doctors don't go back and check. They just leave them on the 5 to 20, and so they're just on the auto set constantly. One thing I don't like about setting patients up like that is because they don't know what they're getting into when they come in to get the CPAP. They're like, what's this mask for? Or why do I have to wear this? Like, they only did the home sleep study, so they really don't know what's coming. They're like, whoa, 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 I have to wear a mask at night? Like, So that's one of my things. And then not going back and making sure um, after that 30 days that they're actually seeing the decrease in apneas, they'll just set them on that. And hopefully the machine does what it's supposed to do. So do you know how that works? I mean, does it just detect how much pressure it needs and that's what it gives the patient? Is that how, I mean, so does it change throughout the night or does it like, Hey, one night you're getting five and you may breathe, you know, sleep like shit. The next day you're getting 15. Hey, you know, we're sleeping a lot better, but we need to test that 10 again. So, I mean, is that, or is it just detect what the patient needs? So it's supposed to automatically detect what the patient needs. So if they're on their back, they might be at 20. And then when they roll over to the left side, they may, might not need as much pressure. So it'll decrease to 12 or 10. So it's supposed to vary. It just varies throughout the night. Interesting. So CPAP versus BiPAP, what's the difference? So CPAP, you have one pressure. It's a constant pressure. BiPAP, you have two. Um, one's your inspiratory and one's your expiratory. Your inspiratory pressure is going to be higher than your expiratory. For Since we're on sleep studies, I guess one of my questions for us in primary care is sleep medication. Like how does that affect or does it have a significant effect on obstructive sleep apnea, if we're getting a CPAP, but we're thinking about putting them on Ambien, like how does that all play into each other? I actually suggest to my patients, so insurance makes you be compliant. Like the patient has to be compliant. They have to wear a minimum of four hours per night, 21 days out of 30 for insurance to pay. So that means the patient has to be comfortable. They, they have up to what, like 90 days to be compliant, but still in that period of time, they have to have a follow-up visit. And then if we have to switch masks or do all this, you know, I mean, if they have any problems at all, it's like sucking up their time to be compliant. So I actually tell them if we're, if they've been to our office like five times, I'm like, you need to see your doctor. See if they will put you on Ambien for like four to five months until you get used to the CPAP. So you can at least sleep at night because one hour of sleep a night for somebody who can't stand the CPAP isn't going to work. 
and they're not going to wear it. So I don't know if you have seen on TV recently these commercials that are supposed to magically sterilize your CPAP, you know, from the mask to... So is that something that you think legitimately needs done? I mean, what are your thoughts on on that? So what I suggest, so it's not covered by insurance. Um, When you buy it on TV, they don't explain that you actually need an adapter for the humidifier chamber for it to actually work with your CPAP. So here's my thought. If you have an immunodeficiency, if you are going through chemo, if you're having like horrible health problems and you just can't clean it once a week with water and vinegar, then please, and you want to spend the money, please get this. It's it's preset. So at 10 a.m. every morning, I mean, it will clean and disinfect. And then at night, you'll be ready to go. It does deteriorate the headgear a lot faster. I've noticed that it does deteriorate the headgear more than what water and vinegar would do. So it seems like you have to renew that headgear more often. It works good, but water and vinegar is going to do the same thing and not cost you. One of my patients called a company and was asking about that particular cleaner and they will act they actually said they would um, avoid the warranty on the the CPAP. They don't want anybody using anything but baby shampoo and water. So what you're saying is it's important when we're talking to the respiratory therapist or we're having the patient talk to the respiratory therapist, they should make sure to specify for that brand, that equipment, any specifics for cleaning, stuff like that. See, in the place I work, we would never void the warranty ourselves. We would just give them a new CPAP and say, here you go, and then send it back. Um, But then you find some companies who will be like, no, we can't take it back. So it just depends on the company. If they want to, they can void it. So you said vinegar and water is the preferred Mm -hmm. cleaning treatment. So is that like a hashtag CPAP douche? It is. (laughs) (laughs) CPAP douche. There you go. There's the hashtag for this episode. One part vinegar, three parts water. And then squirt. And you soak it for 20 to 30 minutes and you take it out and you let it air dry. Don't ever dry anything off. Yeah, it ruins the flora. Yeah, and then you suck in the lamp. <laughs> then you get a yeast infection in your CPAP. You don't want that. Yeah. Nobody wants that. So, I mean, I, I don't want to stay on CPAPs all night, but so is there a particular. F- you were talking about headgear. So there's different types. There's full face, there's the nasal. When we have patients that are worried about using their CPAP or getting these fitted, is there certain masks for certain body types that work better? Is there just one that works better overall in your experience? What what should we be doing to guide our patients through this process? Every, every patient's different. Uh, what I would suggest is if you have a patient who has like sinus allergies constantly, don't give them something where they have to breathe through their nose. Um, the CPAP pressure is going to make them stuffy anyways. And on top of having sinus problems, they're just going to be a mouth breather. And then the CPAP isn't going to do anything to fix their problem. If they are mouth breathers, but are fine breathing in and out through their nose at night, but they just fall open, do a chin strap with it. And I always recommend doing a chin strap with everybody because nobody thinks they're mouth breathers, but once you have that pressure, it's going to take the path of least resistance. And usually that's out through your mouth and then you're not fixing anything. They do have the new hybrid masks, which I really like. It just, it's less claustrophobic for the patient. Instead of it being like a full face mask, um, it sits under the nose and over the mouth. So they can still breathe in and out through their nose or their mouth, but they don't have this huge thing in their eyesight. I'll have to look into that. That sounds interesting. Yep, there's three of them now, and there's one that actually just came out. So, Well, Tom, what other topics did you want to talk about since you want to stay on CPAPs all night? 
It's not that. I just, as interesting as it is, and like I said, she can sit here and talk about CPAP, BiPAP all night. I just didn't know if our listeners. I do have one more thing to say about CPAP. Oh, well, thank God so, for that. CPAP now has Big Brother. So it is ran, it runs on cell towers. So every 24 to 48 hours, your compliance is uploaded to your doctor and your DME company, which shares that with your insurance. And I can tell you from a DOT medical examiner standpoint, we're not allowed to certify people for their DOT until we get proof of the usage of their CPAP if they mark that they use that. Yep. Every day I have patients calling me about D- I think I fax them every day for DOT compliances. So what you're saying is, is it just automatically wakes up to a cell tower and sends results. Yes. So when they tell us that they're being compliant and you're like, no, you weren't. I can prove it. It's fun. That 12%. Yeah, that's compliant. And good job there. And I actually had, and I don't know if they do this where you're at, but people who are compliant, I have people who are compliant, but the pressure isn't working for them. So their apneas are sporadic or high, or they're on an auto set that isn't high enough for them. So it's not fixing the apneas. DOT won't accept it, even if they are compliant. If the apnea is erratic and not below five, they're like, well, it's not under control. So we can't let you go back to work. So I do have one other CPAP question and then we can move on. So obesity obviously is a big issue with patients with OSA. So let's say you have a patient who's lost 30 or 40 pounds. How often should they recalibrate their CPAP or get that rechecked to see if they need a different pressure or, well, I mean, what, what do you, what's a respiratory therapist thought on that? So I think insurance will only do, you can redo a sleep study every eight years. But I think if you have a reason, which is a weight gain or a weight loss, like a a significant amount, um, a lot of times insurance will go ahead and approve it. And you can also, I think it's every five years, if there is a reason, you can get a new CPAP. So I would just say if anybody, I mean, if they've had like any kind of like, like sinus surgeries, or if they've gained a lot of weight, lost a lot of weight, had gastric bypass, something like that, they definitely need reevaluated to make sure that pressure is still working for them. So what else do you do in the respiratory realm? I was going to ask, so in the hospital setting, Mm -hmm. every time I see a respiratory therapist, I see the other six. Like, why do you guys move in a wolf pack (laughs) through the entire hospital? Because that's what we do. It's like, oh, okay. So that's... (laughs) Yeah, that, that's the entire answer I got. Okay, so coming from ER background, for our ER nurses that are out there listening and ERN, what things, when we are calling for you to come to the ER, do you not want us to do? Do you want us to remember? Like Q1 ABGs on the ODs, is that your favorite thing in the world? <laughs> that is so much fun. <laughs> wow. Oh, yeah, that's... I sense a tent. Yeah, that's horrible. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, probably not. And just because the patient, I anxiety is always want they always want to treat anxiety with a breathing treatment, just because it causes the shortness of breath and everything. Nothing helps anxiety like <laughs> albuterol and tachycardia. <laughs> I know, right? I'm like, I'm just making it worse. <laughs> well, my understanding as a new nurse practitioner is that albuterol is made out of Chuck Norris's tears. It is. <laughs> it can cure everything. That's a new ingrown toenails. Hashtag Chuck Norris's tears right there. I like that. It would be made out of his tears if he cried. So other than CPAPs, Megan, what else do you do other than have to put up with Tom? I answer the phone a lot. A lot of patient complaints, a lot of supply orders, a lot of 
me wanting to slam my head in the desk. But other than that, it's great. That sounds like being married to Tom. <laughs> Lots of complaints. Wait, I want to wait a second. The desk. <laughs> wow. Well, when you put it like that, that's actually pretty accurate. I I don't know what else to say to that. I'm trying to be educational for the uh, listening 47 people, uh, especially that one guy in Japan. But uh, I I feel like we're going down a different road right now. Yeah, we better pull it back. Yeah. Pull up. <laughs> <laughs> hey, three people in Italy downloading our show. Could you please tell me what's going on over there? Like, yeah, let's figure it out. But no, I, I just, I think that this is the first, foray down that road where we wanted to hear like where the nurses and where the nurse practitioners doing you know the prescribing so we wanted to kind of know we don't always see what happens on your end and so what what types of things we needed to know is where we're been going with this show i just think because you guys you guys are wonderful it's just that we're not around a lot so if there is something that you're not sure of please call ask before i mean it's always better to ask before something gets worse just because we're everywhere, so it's hard to remember that patient you saw three hours ago that looked fine. Remember so, that pulse oxes can also read CO2. That's a big thing with some of our patients. When you smoke a cigarette before you come into the hospital, uh, your oxygen's probably going to read 100 because that pulse ox can't tell the difference. So even if you have a patient that's 100% and they're short of breath, their CO2 is probably pretty high. <laughs> that's good to know. See? Yeah. Wonderful pearl of I always have patients come in there like, but I'm 100%. I'm like, yeah, but you just smoked a pack of cigarettes. That's why. And what about electronic cigarettes? What's your thoughts on those, Megan? I, I actually kind of like those. <laughs> it's become the first choice. So, <laughs> As a respiratory therapist that smokes, she prefers those. I don't know what she feels on. Four out of five respiratory therapists. <laughs> yes. I, and I full heartedly believe it. It's, I, I would say the majority of respiratory therapists I know because my wife's one, so obviously I meet m- multiples of them, and they all seem to smoke. Well, it was, it's just it was I, back to nursing school, uh, you know, where we because we went to the same ADN program, albeit different years. How often were there lots of people standing outside the health sciences building smoking? <laughs> uh, lots of them, because I was one of them. Yeah. So, like that was that was the thing. Like, if they said you had five minutes in between class, we were stampeding outside. It was happening. Like, just get out of the way. We're going outside to smoke, so just don't bother us. Well, Megan, is there anything else you want to add from a respiratory therapy standpoint to help out practitioners, maybe ordering things? Is, is there things that we can do to help you out to make your job easier, not order human ABGs on the drug Yeah. Well, and not, not only that, but, I mean, anybody that's listening. Uh, we have and- ER nurses that listen. We have ICU nurses that listen. What do you want the rest of healthcare to know about respiratory therapy? That's a big question. Okay, give it to me in like a two minute. <laughs> um, from a DME standpoint, know what insurance requires. That's a huge thing. That's what makes, you know, this. you told this patient they need a CPAP or their health is going to deteriorate. Well, if we don't have all the information we need to put it through insurance, then we have this lag of like a month to two months and this patient's calling saying they're going to die because they haven't had their CPAP. So that's a big thing. Just knowing what they have to do, know what they need for um, insurance purposes. So that order will go through. It's a lot of back and forth, but it would take way less time. Well, and do you want to talk briefly and very briefly about the importance of ensuring that when the patient is on oxygen, hooking it up to the actual oxygen <sighs> instead of the medical air? <laughs> 
Go fuck yourself. <laughs> I would. So the color of oxygen is actually green. And uh, the color of air, room air, which is only 21%, is actually yellow. So that is very... Please check that. Please. So make you're sure. telling me <laughs> that there's oxygen in your room air. If they're on a non-rebreather, I don't see the problem. They're, like getting 20, they're getting 21... Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't doing too good. Anybody who's listening it's to it... Anybody who's listened to our earlier episodes knows why I referenced that. So, and if not, yeah, need to go back. I even said all these episodes. I even told my I told I told my husband I was like, um, somebody put it on air and it needs to be on oxygen. I couldn't imagine it was him, but it was. <laughs> we fixed it. It's fine. She didn't get intubated. If anybody's worried, no, it turned fine. around just fine. It just it killed my soul a little bit. Killed her soul. All right. Well, Tom, you about ready to? Uh, do another social media set shout out and wrap this up. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> All right. Well, so if you did like this, as we said, this was kind of a test format of potentially the new direction of the show as far as bringing in other healthcare disciplines. Let us know. You know. This may be the future of what we do. If you like this, let us know. If you don't like this, tell us and tell us, hey, bring back the original format of just talking about nurse practitioner stuff or advanced practitioner stuff. And, uh, you know, we'll look at continuing that route. But you can reach out to us on our social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all at Just Some Podcast. Or you can find us on the web, www.justsomepodcast.com. Our email, tell us what you think about this episode, admin at justsomepodcast.com. Please make sure you do some reviews, you do some ratings, you share us on your social media sites. And if you use Amazon, which I know a lot of you are, Use our affiliate link off our website. It's free. It's easy. Takes no extra time. It's a It's a like literally, I think, like two mouse clicks, and you are shopping, and it helps us out. All right. Well, let's put a bow on this episode. I would like to thank your wife, Megan, number one, for putting up with you for this long, and for number two, being on the show and giving us some great information about uh, CPAPs and lots of respiratory therapy stuff. I, I, I thought that was a really good episode. Well, I would like to say uh, she's welcome. And thank you to her for being allowed to be married to me. Let's just face it. who's who's the lucky person here. Like I saw a meme the other day of a uh, guy said, my wife is so much more beautiful than me than while when we were shopping, the cashier put the little divider thing on the belt between our groceries. And that is literally my wife and I like people are like, Oh, uh, she slummed it. Huh? I'm like, yeah, I guess. So, I mean, it's, it's, I'm I'm lucky. I I don't have anything else to say about it. I I and she truly is a wonderful RT. She was very very nervous about being on the show and having all twelve people listen to her. And I I I don't think she did a bad job. I just she is very intelligent about all this stuff. But you guys could not believe how nervous she was talking on the air. So I thought that was actually kind of cute in a way. Like oh yeah, no, I think she did great. I think it sounded good and. I got some ideas for next week. I'm going to reach out to somebody else in another healthcare domain and see if they'd be willing to be on the show. So I will let you know more about that, or we'll let you know more about that as we uh, prepare for next week's episode. Yeah, I say for Tom, this is uh, signing off and have a great week. Go Bucks, Buckeye Nation. This has been, hope everybody has a wonderful week. <laughs>